Michael Vonden. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek, and in this video I want to talk about one of the nerdier things that Tolkien did with The Lord of the Rings, and that is the fact that he treats it as if it is a translation of an actual ancient work of history. Um, I'm Basically this is a, a conceit that he carries throughout the entire novel. It's in the Concerning Hobbit's prologue, it's in the appendices, he never breaks that illusion. And I want to talk about kind of how he does that in terms of the narrative, and then I want to talk about some of the effects that that has and, and how that makes it a little more interesting for us, the readers. So let's get going. So the origins of this idea actually kind of go back to The Hobbit, because at the end of The Hobbit, Bilbo talks about the fact that he's going to write his memoirs and call it There and Back Again, A Hobbit's Holiday. Um, at the end of The Hobbit, he, you know, he says that, but in The Lord of the Rings, when we get the sequel, we finally learn that he indeed does have this. He takes this with him to Rivendell, and whenever Frodo and Sam make it to Rivendell, Bilbo talks about the fact that he's been working on his book, hasn't really finished it. By the time Frodo and company get back from their adventures in The Lord of the Rings, he's basically finished his own story, but he's really in no condition to finish their story, and so it's left to Frodo to basically write the entirety of The Lord of the Rings, and he does it in the same book. This book becomes known as the Red Book of Westmarch, which Westmarch is just a part of the Shire where it ends up residing with Sam at the end. The reason it ends up with Sam, of course, is Frodo sails into the West. He leaves the book with Sam to finish up, and Sam then, you know, he does finish it up, and he actually does it, according to the book, with some help from Merry and Pippin, who have access to records in Gondor through Pippin and some other information about Rohan through Merry. Uh, so, I mean, again, this, this conceit gets carried through the entire novel, and if you read the appendices, you get references to this stuff, to the fact that Merry and Pippin contributed, and some of the information comes from that. Uh, there are some strange little issues that arise because of that, because if Sam ends up with the book after Frodo leaves, then how does, how does what Frodo sees at the end of the book when he's sailing into the West make it into the novel? Makes you wonder. Nevertheless, you can't, I guess you can't have an absolutely perfect conceit going, but <clears throat> the main point is you've got this running throughout, and it has some interesting effects on the story and how we, you know, see it. So let's talk about some of those. So some of the effects that this has on the story include uh, basically what you might consider Easter eggs. So the title page of the book, if you look at it, it has elvish runes written on the at the top and the bottom of the page. And what's interesting about that is you can actually transliterate those lines if you go to the appendices and check what Tolkien said that those letters typically represented in terms of sounds. You can figure out phonetically what it says in English. So, I mean, you've got what looks like dwarvish runes. They're not really dwarvish. Dwarves use them because they're more useful for stone, but they're actually elvish in origin. And at the bottom, you've got more of a regular just handwriting script. But both of them are very much transliterated into a phonetic, phonetically English. It doesn't have the same spelling as English if you do it right, but you can figure out what it says. And I'm actually going to do a video on that in the near future, so keep your eye out, and I'll show you how that ends up. But one of the other interesting things in a similar vein, when you get to Balin's tomb in Moria in The Lord of the Rings, Gandalf, of course, says, here it says in the tongues of dwarves and men, Balin, son of Fundin, lord of Moria. 
if you actually go and transliterate again by the sounds, the first half of it you will get lines that say Balin, Fundin, and some other stuff you can't really make any sense of because it's dwarvish, but the next line is actually transliterated. It sounds just what Gandalf says, Balin, son of Fundin, Lord of Moria. It literally transliterates directly to that. So you've got that going on, and it's it's just fun to see that happen because he's he's hiding this stuff in plain sight. If you read the appendices, you will you will go back and see this, and you'll figure it out, and you'll be like, hey, that's cool. Um, but what's interesting is also another connection that this brings up, which gets to the language issue. Um, that'll cover in the next section. But before I do that, I also want to mention. In the very beginning, of course, you have the prologue titled Concerning Hobbits. And Concerning Hobbits is written as if they're talking about a real person, a real people, rather, in a real history, in a real place in the world. It's written as if it's talking about, you know, real hobbits that existed. This is what they were like. Uh, it's not written as if, you know, this is the mythical creature that I created. It's not written in that way. It's written as if he's recording something that he knows. Similarly, some parts of the appendices are that way too. Some parts of the appendices, especially the parts on languages, are clearly Tolkien explaining the languages in light of what he knows about those languages, but other parts are written, especially the historical parts, are written as if they are really talking about history. So uh, that's the main thing there. So now let's talk about that language issue that I mentioned just a bit ago. So, of course, one of the interesting things about Lord of the Rings and Tolkien's created mythology generally is that a lot of it is built from the language first to the stories later. And part of the reason that's interesting is because his development of the languages really only extends to Elvish. And to a lesser extent, a Numenorean language was also developed called Adunaic. But the Rohirrim, they speak a language which in Lord of the Rings looks basically like Old English. It's, it's not a created language, although he did modify it a bit. He's not straight up using Old English as the Rohirrim's language. But the interesting thing about that, and this kind of connects with Balin's tomb, strictly speaking, the language that everybody in the Lord of the Rings is speaking is Western, or like I mentioned earlier, Adunaic. Uh, it's essentially the language that Numenorians carried with them to Middle-earth, which became the lingua franca of Middle-earth. Now, the reason that's important is because Western or Adunaic is not English. And it's interesting because whenever Gandalf says it says in the tongues of dwarves and men, it gets translated into English. If you read that second line, it, the phonetics match up with English. It should match up with Western, but because they're, everything else is written in Western, and he's translating that to English, he translates that to English too. Now the funny thing is, because Elvish is really the only, El, the two elven tongues are really kind of the only two that he directly created that we see in The Lord of the Rings, those languages get left perfectly intact. But like I mentioned about the Rohirrim, they actually end up with Old English, but their language is not Old English. He actually says this specifically in the appendices. They have a very different language, and I have just, because culturally they kind of fit Old English, I have translated it to old something like Old English to give it a similar feel. And similarly, 
another interesting thing in the same vein, with the Hobbit's names, he actually straight up says they're not really named Frodo, Sam, Mary, Pippin. Samwise is actually kind of a derivation of an old English that means halfwit. And basically what he's saying is the original name that Samwise had in his own language meant basically the same thing. And instead of keeping that language, and you can actually find the names, they're, they're, they're really weird if you look at them because they're so foreign sounding. Uh, but I'll leave that to you to discover on your own. But if you go and read that, you realize <laughs> the hobbits all have names that are essentially translated as opposed to transliterated into English so as to mean what they would mean in their original language, not to sound like what they would sound like. So you get this weird distinction where Elvish languages are left completely intact. Elvish is Elvish. But Rohirrim, the Rohiric language, is not the Rohiric language. It's kind of modified, and then the Hobbit's names are also modified. And everything else, everything that's English, is strictly speaking, it's really a translation of Western or Adunaic. And then the only other real exception is, of course, the Black Speech of Mordor, which you see very little of, but again, that one's intact as well because it's, it's again, it's a created thing and basically created for Lord of the Rings. But it's just interesting to see how that plays out. If you read the appendices and, and you look for this and you really keep that in mind, you realize just how thoroughly Tolkien carried the entire conceit of this is a translation throughout the entire project, and it's really fun to watch. So... Anyway, I just thought that was an interesting topic to talk about in this video. I hope you thought that was as cool, nerdy, and geeky as I did. Uh, it was. It's one of the things that really gets me about Tolkien is, is he's a nerd, kind of like I am, just in a different way. So I always found that kind of stuff interesting, and that's part of the reason I really like Lord of the Rings is the amount of effort he puts into really making it real, as real as he possibly can. And I think he does a really good job at it. So, anyway, if you enjoyed this video, please give it a thumbs up. If you want to learn more about Tolkien and the worlds he created, please give a, a subscribe to the channel, or you can follow me at JRRTLore. I also post my videos there. That's on Twitter. And until next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Amadio.